Hey, this is the Catholic Money Mastermind podcast, the show where we explore the intersection between faith and finances. You can learn more about our organization and find show notes at catholicfinancialplanners.com. And please note that nothing in this episode should be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice. Here is who is budgeting for. Robert, I think I want to have you kick it off for us. Uh, you know, only who, who do you think budgeting is for? So it seems to to me and our experience is that budgeting is pretty much for everyone. Certainly for people who are living paycheck to paycheck, they they really need I'd say need a budget. But even our some of our higher net worth clients uh, find that they need a budget as well. I was talking to a mortgage broker who works down the hall from me, and there's a fellow here in Cincinnati who owns a 1.5 million dollar house. Uh, you know a few cars and he cannot get a loan to save his life because he's leveraged too much and he doesn't have the cash to pay off his loans. Right. So, I mean, you're really kind of getting at that uh, what defines a person's success or wealth, especially in the eyes of wealth accumulation, isn't, isn't your income, but your capacity to keep that income and, and save it or put it to good uses. And I, I do you think of it, you know, budgeting's the tool needed to, to help, decide how much stays in the house versus how much goes out in terms of money spent? Well, yes, I would certainly say that uh, it's it's an important tool. And it's even more important when you're married, which many Catholics, you know, looking at budgeting are. Because if you think, you know, you can spend 90% of your income and your spouse thinks you can spend 100%, well, that's when you really need to sit down and not only have a budget, but have a conversation even before you create your budget. 100%. And I think to that point, Robert, we could, you know, we could debate about just how much individual households need to be white knuckling it on every single purchase that, that they're making. But I think the broad concept that everyone does need a budget holds true, especially here, you know, in 2020 America. Are you guys familiar with this concept of zombie companies? Have you heard this one yet? No, this is new, Andy. Give us some insight. Well, this is, I mean, this is so perfect for the world we live in, right? There's this, this idea right now, you've, you've seen some articles about like the number of companies in the S&P 500, for example, that are considered zombie companies. And what that means is there are like a record number of companies that do not earn enough money to service the debt on their loans. So in other words, they don't have enough cash flow coming in to actually make the payments on their debt. And so we have zombie companies. And my guess is without looking at the, the research is we have a, a large number of zombie households. And so I just like that image. It's kind of like the meme for the world that we live in today. So I think big picture, you know, whether, whether you're, again, white knuckling it on every single purchase, we all need a budget. It doesn't matter, you know, who you are. It's, you know, it can impact people in different ways, but I think as a concept, it's, it's a, a reliable, useful tool for just about everyone. I love that, Andy. So the new term for living pay, paycheck to paycheck is not, not living paycheck to paycheck. It's zombie households. You've become a zombie household. I mean, watch out for the zombie apocalypse upon you. So <laughs> this is, that's a fascinating idea. I love it. Sure. And, and it, it's not just, you know, our listeners. So I became a financial advisor eight years ago. And it wasn't really until one year ago that I was not a zombie household myself. 
Right. I suppose I had a similar con- coming to the light, if you will, about uh, a few years further back. But five years ago, we otherwise didn't u- utilize a budget and then came a- across Whiteout, which we'll spend more about here later in the podcast. <laughs> but uh, total game changer. I, we, both my wife and I, rant and rave about how great it has been to be on a budget and just the difference it's made. So I'm, maybe we're getting a little bit into the why budgeting. But before we do so, I feel, Andy, like, do you do you have a similar story to share of, of budgeting conversion, if you will? Oh, 100%. Yeah, 100%. I, gosh, I'm 36. So like my kind of coming of age was after the 2008 financial crisis. I had got laid off from my very first job in 2009. I I took a job where I was cold calling for a stockbroker for $2,000 a month. And, and a friend gave me the Dave Ramsey total money makeover book. And you know, like a lot of people, that that was the game changer. And I got super excited about it. I was every single month tracking my expenses t- to the dollar. And within a couple of years, I paid off my all my debt, including my student loans. And, and that was kind of the beginning of the journey. But as you guys know, it's an ongoing thing, right? When, when you get married, when you have kids, that, you know, that's a, it's a whole nother set of problems. But I think that that foundation that every young person hopefully gets excited about at some point is huge. Yeah. So, you know, what's interesting here is all three of us had some bit of a conversion in, in budgeting. So, and yet we were just also talking about how most people are zombie, zombie companies or zombie households. And so it, you might say it's rampant uh, in the American culture to not budget. Uh, so, you know, maybe before we transition into the question of why, why someone should budget, why do you guys think people don't budget? Uh, do you have some thoughts on that? Maybe Robert? Yeah, I think people don't talk, people don't budget because it's very hard to talk about money. You know, I'm a financial advisor. I'm a son of a financial advisor. And I cannot remember ever hearing my parents discuss a purchase. I'm sure they did. You know, they're, they're financially solvent. But it seems like to me, Americans are taught from a young age that money is a taboo subject. A hundred percent. The, you know, maybe the best kind of uh, analogy that I can make is the analogy to like eating well and exercising, which, which everyone knows are things that you need to do. But, you know, a lot of people don't do that. Right. And I think with budgeting, it's even it's even worse because at least, you know, sometimes, especially like in the Instagram age, if you work out, you know, you can, you can put the shirtless photo on Instagram and show everyone your six pack with, with budgeting. It's not as easy to kind of have those short-term wins that people are going to recognize you for. Right. So, so in reality, it, it might be years and decades to truly see the fruit of those results, unless you, you know, get to a point where you can truly value kind of the, the financial piece of, of living that lifestyle. So I think, I think it's human nature, you know, it's, it's hard to get in the, in the workout routine. It's hard to, you know, at least initially live a healthy lifestyle. And I think that that's kind of a similar analogy with the budgeting piece. Yeah, I think you're, you're spot on there, Andy, with that. I mean, if anything, actually moving to budgeting isn't going to be an immediate fruit. If there's any immediate fruit, you're suddenly probably a buzzkill because, yeah. you know, right. you know, all this stuff that you used to spend money on, you can't anymore because you've realized it's, it's hurting you financially. And so you're, you're not going out as much as you used to. So I, that's going to be the immediate fruit, which isn't going to make you uh, particularly attractive, maybe to friends and family if they're accustomed to some largesse from you. 
Yeah, but that's, you know, that's great. Do you, you think so too, Robert? I mean, it's just, this is human nature. It works and we just have to fight against ourselves to, to, to have the degree of establishing this habit. Well, I think any difficult conversation is against our nature. You know, I, I have yet to experience a person who truly relishes difficult conversations unless there's, unless they're going to get something really important out of it. So to help with this, we do, we will have along with the podcast show notes, a little uh, worksheet that you and whoever you're budgeting with can go over to help you have this conversation. Yeah, that's great. Well, we look forward to being able to put that in the uh, show notes and, and offer it to everybody so they can put it to use. Yeah, it's an interesting dynamic, right? I mean, this is probably one of the most important things, in my opinion, or an estimation that a, a client or a household could do to improve their situation. But yet it's like the most neglected. And it's not just, you know, most a, a person here or there, you know, we've been suggesting as much as 76, 80% of households are living paycheck to paycheck. They're, they're these zombie households. You would think maybe even just as a matter of social policy, we would encourage budgeting from the get-go. I, I often think of it as, like trying to drive a car with no fuel gauge and then just all the headache and hassle and frustration that would happen if you drove around the car, you know, all the time and kept running out of gas, well, you know, working and using your money without a budget, it's basically running your money uh, without knowing how much money you have. Uh, and you keep finding out you're running out of gas and then you're frustrated. Like just imagine all that frustration leaving your life because you just now know where things stand with you financially. So do you guys have any thoughts on this? You know, why, you know, before we finally progress into why we think you should budget, why do you think we aren't making a big emphasis emphasis on this, maybe in terms of a, a public point of concern? Andy, do you, you got some thoughts to share? Yeah, you know, it's funny because the, the wisdom of our elders would tell us that frugality is a virtue, right? In fact, uh, you know, like even in the Catholic faith, for example, like you, you read things about, you know, the virtue of thrift or the virtue of economy, or I think parsimony is a word that's thrown around from time to time too. So, you know, you hear about these kind of like old school ideas that like maybe our, our grandparents in the Great Depression would embrace. And, uh, you know, maybe you'd read about in things like the book of Proverbs. And so it seems like some of these ideas like have been kind of baked into the culture from from ages past, but certainly is not today's, I think, Ben, is what you're alluding to. And it's hard to say, you know, it's in some ways, you know, we're talking about zombie companies. In some ways, sometimes we have zombie governments <laughs> that are spending more than they're taking in. So it's not like we have a lot of kind of good role models to look to in the, you know, in the broader U.S. landscape. So I think the best we can do is to try to maybe redefine our own cultures and our own homes and our own communities and try to bring back some of these like ancient principles. Because I agree, it's it's not it's not in the kind of broader culture, but it does you know it does it does offer someone like a Dave Ramsey to be a voice crying out in the wilderness. You know, so I think I think his one of the reasons why his message just resonates with so many people is because people recognize the the truth of, of those principles of, of kind of getting out of that rat race of living paycheck to paycheck. Yeah, for sure. I suppose it's good for his business at the end of the day. Uh, although maybe we all would, would like to think that Dave would be okay to put himself out of business, at least in this regard, if we could uh, change the tide, but there's, there's reasons to think that this might, might persist. Robert, before we you know, ultimately transition here, do you have uh, any thoughts as to why this isn't such a, a point of emphasis in public policy? Well, I, not to get too political, 
I'm not sure that it's in the best interest of the government for every American to be self-sufficient. Sure. So you think there's maybe a degree of dependence on here that we're wanting to facilitate? Uh, that's definitely a political statement, so we can leave it at that. But I mean, there may well, be some merit, merit to that point. I don't know that it's even intentional, right? But they're so focused on sol- they're so focused on solving the problem that's right in front of them that sometimes it's easy to miss the underlying problem that's going to take years to fix instead of a month to fix. Sure. Yeah. Kind of a short term thinking versus a longer term approach. Well, I don't want us to go off into too much of a rabbit hole. Although I do think in terms of the struggles associated with budgeting, it's worth noting that we live certainly in a pro consumer society. And we're, as Andy was suggesting, we live in a society that wants to wear wealth on its sleeve and demonstrate at least, you know, physically, visibly, visually, what you know how well we're doing and you know there's this fight or or struggle or urgency to keep up with the joneses and to feel like we're missing out or being deprived of something if our own spending patterns don't match uh, that of our neighbors and so I, I think all of this works against us and maybe it's the reasons why people don't budget perhaps we could save it budgeting sheds too much light on on this subject matter and we wouldn't want to rather address the, you know what's really going on but you know maybe to move away from why why not, why people don't budget, uh, let's discuss why you think we should. I mean, what are your reasons, your best reasons, Robert, for why someone should budget? I think one very good reason is that money conflicts are one of the primary sources of conflict in any American household. And, you know, as we all know, it it's, goes back to a house divided against itself cannot stand. And I know using divorce as a proxy, it's the third most common reason people get separated. And it's cited in the other two, right? So having this budget, talking it through, and actually agreeing to one and adhering to it removes a lot of that conflict from your own household. Sure. So you see this as an opportunity to facilitate communication between two people and maybe adjust expectations and and keep both of you on a a similar playing field. You you see the budget as a means to do all that? I see a budget as as one of the primary means, yes. If you have agreements between you and your spouse, who, what you'll spend, where you'll spend it, when you'll spend it, you remove a lot of the, the stress that comes along with not knowing what's in your bank account, you know? Yeah, we tend not to like surprises. I mean, we could enjoy them, but, you know, maybe surprises of this nature don't often go over well with folks. And uh, I do think there's an identification of money and survival. And we, you know, it's it's not much in terms of our own response to money. Neurologically, we see it as an attack on ourselves. And so if suddenly somebody spent a bunch of money in our relationship, uh, your spouse does more than what you thought they should or think they should. It's it's almost as if you're attacking them. You're attacking their physical well-being our physiological response tends to be rather significant to this, uh, which would be, you know, perhaps just a really good reason to, to budget to help minimize, you know, these moments of, I don't know, fight or fight or flight. Andy, do you, you think the same? Are, are these, you know, all the reasons why you, you think we should budget? Yeah. I mean, and, and to even be a little bit more basic, just on a basic level, like 
What we're talking about here is really even just developing kind of simple virtues. So like earlier, I said the word thrift, which I think probably kind of has a a negative connotation in in the modern world, like this idea of being thrifty. But but thrift is actually, it's an iteration of the word thriving, believe it or not, which I think is a much more positive way to put it. And so it, it really, it is a Christian virtue, right? And so like, Throughout tradition, throughout the centuries, these virtues like thrift have been talked about by you know even the church fathers over the years. Like Saint John Chrysostom actually gave a homily um, once about the virtue of of industry is what he called it. But but thrift is, is is related to that, and so I think I think people recognize this. I think they recognize it as a virtue if you're t- kind of making these acts to move your your household forward on a daily and a monthly basis. I think it's these are small wins that can help build momentum, and so I think even just thinking about it as a simple virtue is uh, is a useful kind of a useful way to look at it. Yeah, you know that's a fascinating take on it, and certainly you know a step into the Catholic moral teaching or perspective. In that, in order for any of us to be good or excellent, uh, we have to develop character traits, these points of strengths, also known as virtues, in order for us to to do well, and. You know, ultimately, the the misuse of money is not it's it's a vicious activity, a, a point of vice that would just work against other aspects of our relationship, working and living together. Where you know, if we're vicious in one way, it tends to be that we're vicious in other ways. And so, the work of budgeting is a good habit to cultivate because it moves you towards excellence and and a rather and away from I don't know if I want to say failure or you know, disintegration is really, I suppose, what comes to mind. That's, that's kind of a fascinating take on this. It's not just simply a practical tool to help have communication, but it's kind of strikes at your very well-being in terms of, you know, the daily decisions you're making on, on how to be good or what to do that's uh, right for, uh, in your situation. Is, is that how you're understanding or seeing the value of budgeting? Yeah, I think the other thing that's great about it too, Ben, is like, especially like in a marriage, for example, you recognize that, you have different virtues than your spouse, right? And so like if if maybe it's more commonly thought of as like the wife is maybe more thrifty. I know that's not always the case, but maybe the husband is more kind of liberal. I know like like my parents, that's that's the example, right? Where my mother was always the, the very thrifty one in the household and my dad was the one that always wanted to do kind of more fun stuff. And, and they kind sure. of balance each other out quite well. And so I think thinking of it as like a virtue is useful because you can recognize the strengths of, of different people in the marriage. And there's, there's kind of a place for both of those. And that's kind of the beautiful thing about marriage, right? We're not expecting that, you know, a husband and a wife are going to, you know, have the you know, equal, an equal balance of each of these virtues, but, you know, they have different strengths. And I think that's kind of an important way to look at it. Yeah. So budgeting is a discipline, you know, an art or a practice as a way to improve, uh, and, and true, improve our own, boy, uh, I don't know, our, our quality of life, but just our moral character really is what it comes, it resonates back to. Well, uh, Robert, do you have any other thoughts as to, to why so much a budget? I mean, you've listed it. There's a lot of more marital conflicts, and this is a great way to resolve that. It facilitates communication. It, you know, it helps to work against our ingrained human nature, which tends to not want to talk about things, and this kind of forces you out and to talk about it. Anything else come to mind for you as to what you, you think? Uh, why we should be budgeting? Well, to touch on the moral side, I think we as Catholics have a responsibility to practice stewardship. And 
I really, I truly don't see how you can practice stewardship of your own money and your own, you know, your own financial life without knowing where the money is going and having decided why it's going there. Right. I mean, you can't really say you're being uh, a good caretaker if you have no <laughs> idea what's going on, right? Right. right. Uh, you kind of have, I mean, that's kind of the nature of being a caretaker is you have to care, right? Uh, so you can't very well say you care about your finances if you're oblivious to what's going in and out. And so it's, yeah, I mean, this is just a good practical way to really demonstrate your your care for the, what's been given to you is you're, 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 you have this oversight or diligence on on the money. Andy, do you have some thoughts on that too? Hey, I just pulled up that St. John Chrysostom homily that I had referenced earlier. Do you guys mind if I read this? It's like three sentences. Sure. I'd love to hear it. Okay. So here it is. So St. John Chrysostom, I don't know, early church father, right? So over over a, a millennium ago, he says, quote, he that spends his money on fit objects, this is the magnanimous man for someone who is not a slave to passion and who is capable of taking money to be insignificant, truly has a great soul. Likewise, economy is a good thing. Someone who spends in a proper manner and not at random without management will be the best steward, end quote. And so one of the great saints said it much better than I did. Yeah, I almost feel like we have to end on that, but then our, our podcast would run short and we've got more more to talk about, Andy. So, uh, but that's a great Great quote to, to throw in. I mean, maybe budgeting was an issue or overspending was an issue always. You know, John Christensen is just bringing it out there to us to say, hey, you know, I mean, you guys need to do this too. And, you know, I'm sure the, the manner of currency and, and trades and goods has changed significantly in the last uh, thousand years, but it's just as applicable today as it was back then. Well, I would uh, be curious to know, do you have some practical suggestions, Robert, for how someone should take up the practice of budgeting? I mean, how do you get started and what do you budget on? And I, I think maybe a lot of people who are listening to this could recognize that, yeah, this is important. I should do it. I know I should. Uh, but I, I think this is a time management issue. We tend, you know, as humans to give priority to things that are urgent, but not, not important. You know, so something that pops up in life, maybe it could be a Facebook message, a notification on your phone, feel the need to look at all these things. But, you know, in reality, we don't, we probably don't need to spend our time on that. But the thing that we actually need to spend time on, we recognize is important. It's it's not it's not blaring at us. There's no notification, unless you're using Why Now. <laughs> no, but you know, you, it's just easy to neglect it. Like how do you how do you get started on something that just doesn't feel like if I don't do this today, it's it's still going to be okay. Right, right. Well, a, a budget sounds and seems like you're forward looking. You're you're determining what you're going to spend. But how do, you, how do you know what you're going to spend? I think the best way to do that is to sit down with your bank statements in front of you, hopefully not your credit card statements, particularly if you're overspending, and write down what comes in, what kind of bills you're paying every month, and how much they are. So you'll have your fixed bills, such as your mortgage, homeowner's insurance, you know, things like that. And then you'll have your variable ones. So you have to fill up your car with gas, but it's different every month. And you have to get groceries, but that's different every month. I think one of the, so one of the first most important steps is to write all that down and come up with a monthly average for each of those major categories. 
Sure. So you're looking at expenses that occur uh, on a monthly basis. We They mm-hmm. reoccur. We expect them to occur, but we should s- start by separating them out between fixed and variable. You know, some of these expenses are predictable. We know what it's going to be. It's either the exact same amount every month, like a utility bill, or or it, it's probably close to the same amount, but it, it might change a little bit. And, you know, you uh, spend, you know, allocate money towards those fixed monthly expenses and then also track or recognize the variable. So you think looking back over prior expenses for the last month, two, three months as a way to gauge, especially those variable expenses is a good way to get start to get a handle on it? Yes, I think at least three months. And then, you know, the advent of online banking is nice because you can pull out, you can download your statements and then start searching through the documents for things like, you know, you have an oil change every year. You maybe need to replace your tires every other year, every three years. I drive a lot, so it's every year and a half for me. But yeah, you do out, drive a lot. <laughs> but pull out the pull out those expenses that you also know are coming, but are more infrequent, and start to budget a little bit for each of those every month too. Sure. Well, maybe, Andy, I'm going to kick it over to you, but how would you suggest just getting a handle of, of budgeting for it? Like, is it si- as simply as a task of just figuring out what you're spending between the fixed and the variable expenses? And, you know, you just, you do a tally of the income and then do a tally of the expenses and figure out where you stand. I mean, is there any trick to this? Right, right. You know, I I think maybe I'm too Pollyanna about this, but I've kind of come to the conclusion that there are kind of different ways to skin the cat here. So like me personally, for example, Ben, I use a very simple spreadsheet. And that's what's I found has kind of worked for me over the years in terms of kind of manually tracking expenses and then figuring out what our kind of monthly game plan is using a, just a very simple spreadsheet. And so I know like a lot of spreadsheet wizards, that's kind of useful for them too. On the other hand, in terms of like tools that are out there, I, I have some friends and clients that really rave about the YNAB tool. So like if you're looking for, you know, ways to start, you know, checking out some of the great spreadsheets that are out there, like the YNAB tool might be uh, a, great, a great way real to Real quick, start. Andy. So what, what's YNAB again? Just for Yeah, everybody. yeah, yeah. So it's right. It's maybe the, one of the more popular kind of budgeting tools, but it stands for, for you need a budget. And it's maybe the kind of most robust version of an app that you can use. You can share it with your spouse. So it makes it it really handy. You do have to pay for it, but it does have some kind of nice bells and whistles. I know a lot of people love and, and what's great about it is I think it does help kind of build habit. And so that's, that's where I've seen it really work. So those, those are kind of two options. And I know there are others, frankly, at, as, as we were speaking earlier, when I had kind of my, my come to Jesus about budgeting a decade ago, I was also using the envelope plan mm. as well too, which I, I, I don't, I'm not going to throw that one out. I think there's a place for that as well too, the kind of Dave Ramsey cash in the envelope idea. So those are just kind of a, maybe three ways to get started. And, and one of the things too, that as you're, as you're getting going with this, I, I like the idea of being open to just the, the concept that as you're starting budgeting, you might find just basic financial planning stuff that pops up here and there as well too, where you realize that your issue is maybe not so much, you know, the, 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 the typical kind of $5 Starbucks, but it might be something more structural, structural. And you're realizing that, you know, maybe we need to downsize to a, a different house or sell a car 
or you know change our lifestyle where we find a way to um, not spend so much with healthcare costs. These are some of the things that as you're doing a budget and and, and realizing what you're spending is, you might want to be open to as, as you're as you're going through this process. Sure, I mean we could all be guilty of impulsive spending and blowing our budget or you know creating one and then not not abiding by it. Which I think really at, at the end of the day, that's the trick to this is, you know, we could take the time to put all these numbers down and get a sense of what what needs to be done or what changes to make. But then, you know, this really comes down to human behavior and are you going to make the changes that, that that's needed? You know, there's a saying out there that if nothing changes, nothing changes. And, you know, ultimately for someone to see progress in their finances, we, we have to make a change, you know, presuming that that's, that's what's needed. And, you know, for budgeting, it, we have to adopt or adhere to some new standard or discipline. So I, I think, you know, this, we got to pick a, a, a system or a process that's going to resonate and work with you so that, you know, you don't find it particularly onerous as a task. Because, you know, it's just simple behavioral change. If this gets to be too challenging, we're going to go back into our old ways of habit and and the like. So, I mean, Robert, do you have any suggestions in the early phases for somebody as they're, you know, moving from, you know, you know, having this conversion experience from having not budgeted to budgeted, you know, what really drove it home for you as you made this change? Well, so what, the reason why I stopped living paycheck to paycheck was I made bad financial decisions in college. What really drove it home was actually having children. That's when I really buckled down. But I think uh, a really quick and easy step for anyone starting this is after you've determined that average monthly amount, go to whatever bank you use, open up a savings account at the bank, and move all the money that doesn't fit into your monthly budget over there. So most banks will transfer that same day if you have to, but it can kind of show you how much you have to spend. And the other money's still available, but it prevents you from kind of falling off the wagon without doing it consciously. So if you only have your fixed monthly expenses in there or your average monthly expenses, you're a lot less likely to just spend indiscriminately. Right. So you see this practice as like a control. So, I mean, you've, you move the amount of money that you need to have. It's in the account. And then as you go through the month and that account spends down, you know, let's say it's 5,000 initially, but you throw in and now it's 4,000, 3,000, 2,000, you know, there should be some alarms or awareness going off to you, especially maybe once you hit that two or $1,000 market, Hey, we got to, we have to ease it up a little bit. We got to make this last little bit of money work until, in, until we get a new, new allotment with another paycheck next month. Is, is that how that works for you? Yes. Well, and another important part would be knowing what balance it should be at, at which time of the month. Right. So if you have 900 come out for your mortgage, you don't have to be too worried about that. But if you have 1200 come out and only 900 of it was your mortgage, well, that's becoming a problem. So, yes, I think it's an I think this is an important control for the people who are starting to budget. One thing my wife and I do is we use Capital One, which will send a text alert for any transaction in any amount you set. Mm. So it, when we started this out, we, 
we both would get a text alert if more than $50 was moved between any account. And so that's sure. so these are the gauges that I was alluding to here, you know, previously yeah. that we all, we all need a gauge to kind of tell us how things are going. And so the text alerts, the notifications, and, you know, the, just the current balance in the account are, is really fundamentally your gauge to say whether or not you're full or empty on your financial mm-hmm. gas tank, right? Yes. Yes, exactly. Okay. Well, what about for you, Andy? Do you have a similar gauge that you, you see that you're using to help see whether or not your, your spending is staying in control and on track for your, your financial capacity? Yeah. I mean, I like that life hack that Robert mentioned there as well too. Yeah. I mean, we, we, we use an aggregator tool at my firm where we're able to kind of look at our, our household in, in one place. And so, you know, with the kind of financial complexity that households have these days, like we use kind of one of these simple aggregator tools like a mint.com to kind of look at everything in one place. But I had not heard that, that notification idea yet. So I'm going to, I'm going to start looking into that, Robert. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Well, I actually went with Capital One because at the time they had the highest interest rate, but not a lot of local banks do that. You kind of need to get one of the big national online mm-hmm. banks. So they they they, want, they alert your business with the interest rate, but they've won your business on the notifications. So <laughs> yes. that'd be a lesson. That's a fun little tidbit there. But I have to say, you know, just as I chime in on, on gauges, maybe that's my thing when it comes to, to budgeting, but I, I really think that's what, what it's all about. You know, YNAB has this age of money component, which is just another variety of basically your, the, the wealth of your financial condition. And, you know, if you can imagine like your classic arrow moving back and forth between red, yellow and green, age of money more or less communicates your, whether or not you're in the green zone, yellow, yellow or red. Now, it doesn't necessarily do this on a, a month to month basis, but as you mature and, and move along within the software, and again, we're pretty avid users, like that's that. You know, the movement in the, the age of money is the telltale for us <laughs> every time to let me know whether or not I think we're okay or if we need to make some adjustments or changes. You know, are we good to, in terms of our current spending patterns, or do we need to pull back? Age of money just communicates that very quickly and cleanly. So I, I think it seems to me that in order for budgeting to work over the long term, because it can be a tedious, onerous task, you know, we're looking into what we spend our money on and you feel like an accountant perhaps or, uh, you know, like a parent looking in over you. You know, I mean, and these are all good things to do, but maybe we don't don't really want to adult to use that expression, right? There has to be some quick go-to to help us get a sense of, are we okay? Because I, I feel like that's ultimately what it's, what it's about. But are there circumstances as we close out? I have one more question I want to shoot by you guys, and then I think we'll, we'll call the show a wrap. Is there a time in which you think someone would be okay not to budget? Is budgeting something that you would put as kind of an absolute or, or, or a really nice thing to do? Or... Or could somebody reasonably get away and, and not budget and still be okay? What do you think on that, Robert? I think in rare cases, yes. But only only people who are pretty good at mental math, so they know, they know how much is in their account. They have a decent idea of how much their monthly expenses are, and they just don't spend more than that. So I think that's one case. The other case would, of course, be somebody who just makes so much money, they would truly have to try to spend it all. But that's not me. <laughs> well, I don't know if I'm one of those out there yet. At least not yet. I don't know if it's really a life ambition either to be a point where I could just spend freely and never worry about draining, draining the money that's coming in. But I mean, we will see some high income earners, right, who, you know, to some degree, maybe they, they approach this where they're 
they could just spend on just about anything, and it, it seems to be enough. Do you, do you think that's going to get you into any trouble eventually, Andy, to do that? Or, or are they okay to just kind of only loosely have a budget? Well, sure. I mean, even going back to kind of the idea of virtue or the idea of like developing good behavior, there are just some people that either are naturally thrifty or they've kind of just developed a habit of thrift that, you know, using my analogy before, like maybe you don't necessarily have to white knuckle every single expense. I know no one's saying that you should do that, but, but, you know, they, they just by virtue of their behavior, by their spending patterns might not need to do the kind of rigorous budgeting process that we're kind of talking about here. But I mean, even, even kind of like in the modern world of using like credit cards for everything, debit cards for everything, I think at the bare minimum, it's, it's probably a good idea to just check your accounts to make sure that um, there's no fraudulent charges. So we do see a lot of that. So I think for better or for worse, everyone is probably going to need to do some version of, of budgeting, budgeting and reconciling. But to what degree, I think it depends on the situation is you're getting at, Ben. Yeah, I, I would agree. I mean, I kind of come to a, a conclusion that, you know, one, I, I budget. I think it's a good habit to do. I think you're better off budgeting than not budgeting. But if you're like, you know, can I, you know, shortcut this or get away with it? Or do I really have to budget? I do think that, you know, at the end of the day, a financial situation progresses along based off of whether or not you're accumulating accumulating wealth, which is, you know, done only through savings or growth of equity, equity in a home, equity in a business or, or the like. And so, you know, what really tells, I think, how well one's doing, someone's f- doing financially, at least, you know, from a secular perspective, I want to throw this out here because I can hear the saints in the back of my mind say, but this doesn't all matter. But, you know, we're, we're dealing with money, which is a very secular concern. You know, it's only the growth of your net worth. And, you know, and that really how much a net worth grows is a a large component of your current savings rate. And so if you're hitting your savings goals, you know, are we setting enough money aside? And are if we're not, you know, accumulating balances on our credit cards, we're able to maintain the current monthly balance, then I think you're you're probably fine. You know, I mean, the savings goal is what determines uh, your long term outcome. And the you know whether or not you're accumulating credit balances on credit cards tells you whether or not you're spending too much and you can't keep up with it. And I think as long as we see both of those going, you can shortchange this and you know just sign off on it on those two elements alone. But I don't know if I would really recommend that. I truly think that if someone you know I think what's in anybody's best interest is probably to incorporate budgeting and go down this pathway. I think the payoff's well worth it. And uh, you know having these two simple metrics doesn't necessarily still facilitate better communication between you and your spouse. And, you know, it may not facilitate this growth of virtue, as Andy's alluding to. So uh, this is really kind of a bare minimum. You know, yes, this will work, but I think we can do better. Uh, What what do you guys think? Do you guys mind if I end this on a light note? Oh, please. Yeah, Andy, I don't want it to be too heavy. (laughs) My wife just sent me, I'll put this in the show notes. My wife just sent me a picture of my son in the family room, I guess just recently um, this morning, he colored all over the wall, the floor, and the chair. Okay. <laughs> and so uh, he's been going through a lot of markers recently because he's coloring on everything but paper. So I think we're going to up our, our budget expense for art supplies <laughs> in, our, in the Flattery household. <laughs> all right. You know, something might have to be decreased to make that work, you know. I mean, that's, right. is, it, is it either more income coming to the household or, or less expenses somewhere else, right? But uh, that's kind of a nice way to see the trade-offs. But how, how funny, Andy. Thanks <laughs> Thanks for letting us all know. <laughs> I, I think, you know, there's been a distinct increase in cleaning supplies or just replacement of 
everything uh, since we've had our girls because, you know, stuff tends to get used up in unexpected ways when you have children, which is, I think, a nice surprise to have on a monthly basis. Yeah, it's a good problem to have, Ben. So, uh, yeah, there's there's a story of, of it all getting real. <laughs> so, well, thanks, everyone, for joining us today. Hope you found a lot of value in this.